This is Space Time Series 25, Episode 127, for broadcast on the 25th of November, 2022. Coming up on Space Time, how black holes control star formation, the last ever Atlas V launch from California, and more Chinese space junk to pollute low Earth orbit. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. observations using NASA's Webb Space Telescope are showing astronomers how black holes control star formation in galaxies. The findings, reported in the Astrophysical Journal Letters and on the pre-press physics website archive.org, describe ultra-sensitive mid-infrared observations of the nearby galaxy NGC 7469. NGC 7469 is a safer galaxy with an active centre hosting a supermassive black hole and a ring of star-forming regions. Safer galaxies are one of the two largest groups of active galaxies, along with quasars. They have quasar-like nuclei, very luminous, distant and bright sources of electromagnetic radiation with very high surface brightnesses whose spectra reveal strong high ionization emission lines. But unlike quasars, the Hertz galaxies are clearly detectable. The detailed analysis examined the interactions between the supermassive black hole at the centre of this galaxy and the star-forming regions around it. The study's lead author, Vivian Yu, from the University of California, Irvine, says the systems, which are seen face-on, turned out to be a real surprise. Yu and colleagues were able to see not just winds from the supermassive black hole blowing in our direction, but also shock heating of the gas produced by those winds very close to the central active galactic nucleus, which is something they hadn't expected to see so clearly. Shock heating happens when wind from a black hole in a galaxy's centre pushes on surrounding dense gas, causing a shock front which deposits energy into the interstellar medium. And that can influence star formation in two opposing ways. Firstly, it can compress gas into molecular clouds, and those clouds could then gravitationally collapse to form new stars. Alternatively, excessively strong feedback processes from the galactic winds could prevent star birth by dissipating molecular gas clouds and destroying stellar nurseries. For decades, astronomers have tried to study the detailed dynamics of safer systems, which make up about 10% of all galaxies. However, dust, which is commonly abundant in the centre of these systems, has made that challenging. And that's where the Webb Space Telescope came in. It gave access to what lies beneath that veil of dust. Using the telescope's 6.5-metre mirror and its advanced suite of tools, the authors were able to measure several key ionised and molecular gas emission lines. These inform astronomers about the conditions of the interstellar medium, the gas, dust and radiation that exist between stars in a galaxy. And that's allowed the authors to pinpoint star-forming regions within a starburst ring. They also detected a high-velocity outflow of ionised gas that's blue-shifted, meaning it's coming towards the observer rather than being red-shifted when it's travelling in the opposite direction. This allowed you and colleagues to see not just what's behind the gas and dust, but also how things are moving at very small scales, something they couldn't previously see at these wavelengths. It's provided a more coherent picture, at least in this system, of how the active galactic nucleus is driving out gas and how that's impacting on the surrounding material. 
they're seeing definitive signs of the black hole-driven winds dumping energy out into the interstellar medium. Another significant contributor to the rolling dynamics of NGC 7469 is the fact that it's merging with another galaxy. The interaction with the other galaxy means that galactic material is being moved around as a result of gravitational tidal forces, and eventually they'll file towards the centre of the galactic system when angular momentum's lost. The process tends to make the galaxy centre very dusty, and that's why the Webb Space Telescope was so important for these studies. This is space-time. Still to come, the Euclid spacecraft completes thermal testing prior to its launch, and California witnesses its last ever launch of an Atlas V rocket. All that and more still to come on space-time. The European Space Agency's new Euclid spacecraft has now completed a key phase of its pre-flight thermal testing program as engineers and scientists continue preparing the probe for next month's launch into orbit. The month-long tests were conducted in a massive thermal vacuum chamber at the Thales Alenia Space Test Facility in Cannes, France. The chamber reproduced the sort of environment and conditions which the spacecraft will have to face once in orbit. Prior to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Euclid was slated to be launched on a Soyuz ST rocket. However, that job's now being given to the American SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket, which will launch from Cape Canaveral. Euclid will be placed in a 1.5 million kilometer high orbit at the Lagrangian L2 position on the dark side of the Earth. That's the same orbit where the Webb Space Telescope's located in. From this perch, the 2,160-kilogram Euclid spacecraft will use its visible-to-near-infrared space telescope to study the structure and evolution of the dark universe, searching for signs of dark matter and dark energy, which make up more than 95% of the entire mass-energy budget of the universe. The problem is, scientists have no idea what dark matter or dark energy are. That's why they use the term dark. They know these things exist because they can see their effects on the normal matter around them. Dark matter is a mysterious invisible substance which adds additional mass to matter. That results in additional gravity, preventing galaxies from flying apart as they rotate. Dark energy, on the other hand, is causing the cosmic expansion of the universe out from the Big Bang 13.82 billion years ago to accelerate, something it shouldn't be doing and how much dark energy there is out there in the cosmos will determine the ultimate fate of the universe. Euclid's telescopes will probe the history of the expansion of the universe and the formation of cosmic structures by measuring the redshift of galaxies looking back 10 billion years. And it will see how distant galaxies appear distorted because of gravitational lensing caused by halos of dark matter permeating the cosmos. This report from ESA TV. Can in the south of France... At the Thales Alenia facility, the large thermal vacuum chamber opens, revealing ESA's groundbreaking spacecraft, Euclid, designed to observe the dark side of the universe. Euclid is currently in its final phase of testing and has been in this thermal vacuum chamber for about a month to test the functionality of the fully integrated spacecraft under space conditions. And the point of this test is to take the whole spacecraft and cool it down to its operational temperature and then uh, run it for about a month 
I check that all the temperatures arrive at the right place where they should be. The, the first results of the, of the uh, thermal vacuum campaign are very good. Uh, everyone is uh, very happy and satisfied uh, how it went. Uh, basically all the subsystems uh, of the telescope uh, work uh, really well under uh, different uh, climatic conditions and uh, there are basically no showstoppers. Over the coming weeks, the spacecraft will be subjected to further mechanical, electrical and functional tests at the CAN facility. After this, the mission should be ready for launch in the summer of 2023 and will be placed into orbit around the second Lagrangian point, approximately 1.5 million kilometres from Earth. From here, Euclid will survey about one-third of the sky and will capture data from billions of galaxies looking back more than 10 billion years in time. In order to do this, Euclid has a payload module comprising a 1.2-metre Korsh telescope with two large-area focal plane instruments, the visible instrument VIS and a near-infrared spectrometer and photometer called NISP. The instruments will capture the light of distant galaxies from visible to near-infrared wavelengths. With these observations, scientists hope to learn more about the nature of dark matter and dark energy, which together could make up more than 95% of our universe. Um, so the visible instrument is specifically designed to image over a large area in the visible wave band, and it is making images where we can see the effects of dark matter spatially on galaxies across this wide, large area uh, survey. So we see that the images of the galaxies are distorted and the distortion is caused by the, the dark matter in the universe bending the light as it comes towards us. And it's a little bit like when you look through a swimming pool and you see the bottom of the swimming pool and the, the bottom of the swimming pool looks distorted. But what you're seeing is the effect of the light being bent by the, the water in the swimming pool or by the dark matter in the universe. Similarly, the near-infrared instrument will observe the effect of dark energy by measuring the speed at which galaxies are moving away from us and hence how the expansion of the universe is accelerating. This is done by observing the shift in wavelength of emitted light called the redshift of the galaxies. Cosmology is uh, exciting at the moment. We have dark matter, dark energy, 95% of everything out there we can't really explain. The cosmological models don't quite work and Euclid is going to hopefully make a huge advancement in our understanding of all of these topics. Although dark energy is believed to accelerate the expansion of the universe and dark matter to hold cosmic structures together, scientists do not know what dark matter and dark energy actually are. Euclid will dramatically improve our understanding of the structure and evolution of the universe. Euclid is a groundbreaking mission, built and operated under ESA leadership, with Thales Alenia Space being the industrial prime contractor, whereas the telescope was built by Airbus Defence and Space, and the focal plane instruments provided by the nationally funded teams. A Euclid consortium of more than 1,500 scientists will analyse the data produced by the spacecraft. The mission was confirmed in 2012 and is part of ESA's Cosmic Vision Programme, enabling astronomers to refine cosmological models and better understand the role of the mysterious dark matter 
and dark energy. And in that report from ECTV, we heard from Alexander Short, ESA's Euclid Mission and Payload Manager, and Magdalena Zafranik, ESA's Euclid Visible and Infrared Instrument Engineer. This is Space Time. Still to come. The last ever launch of an Atlas V rocket from California, more Chinese space junk polluting low Earth orbit, and later in the science report, a new study finds that being young, male, religious and with a high income makes you more likely to gamble on sports. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Californians have witnessed a bit of history with the last ever launch of an Atlas V rocket from the Vandenberg Air Force Base. Originally designed as a nuclear missile, the Atlas has been flying since December 1957. It was quickly adapted for manned space flight, sending the first American astronauts into orbit as part of the Mercury program. More than 600 Atlas rockets in various configurations have been flown, making it one of America's most successful designs. Its final flight from Vandenberg was for the United Launch Alliance on an Atlas V-401 Centaur rocket, successfully placing the third in a series of polar orbiting weather satellites into orbit for NASA and NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. The 2,930-kilogram Joint Polar Satellite System, or JPSS-2 spacecraft, was placed into an 833-kilometre-high polar orbit. The probe uses an advanced technology microwave sounder scanning atmospheric moisture and temperature profiles. An ozone mapping and profiler suite, which uses three hyperspectral instruments to monitor ozone levels. A cross-track infrared sounder used to produce high-resolution three-dimensional moisture, pressure and temperature profiles. And a visible infrared imaging radiometer suite, which takes global observations of the land, ocean and atmosphere at high temporal resolution. The JPSS-2 will be renamed the NOAA-21 once it reaches its final orbit. It'll circle the planet 14 times a day, providing meteorologists with real-time long-range global weather forecasting, including predicting climate phenomena such as El Niño and La Niña weather events. As well as JPSS-2, the mission also included NASA's new Lofted, that is, its low-Earth orbit flight test of an inflatable decelerator, which, as the name suggests, is a new inflatable heat shield technology that could one day help land people on Mars. Following the weather satellite's deployment, the Lofted heat shield autonomously inflated and re-entered the Earth's atmosphere, splashing down around 900 kilometres off the coast of Hawaii around 2 hours and 10 minutes after launch. Inflatable heat shields, also known as aeroshells, could enable landing heavier payloads on worlds like Mars, Venus and Saturn's moon Titan, as well as returning large components and samples back to Earth. The thing is, inflatable aeroshells aren't limited by the diameter of the launch vehicle fairing, so they can be made much larger than conventional rigid aeroshells. And larger aeroshells provide more drag, thereby allowing them to slow heavier payloads for atmospheric entry, such as the many tons of equipment which will be required for a manned mission to Mars. And as we said at the top of the story, this launch also marked the last ever flight of an Atlas V rocket from the Vandenberg Space Force Base in California. 
The United Launch Alliance will now begin redeveloping Vandenberg Space Launch Complex 3 for the new Vulcan Centaur rocket, which will replace both the Atlas V and the Delta IV sometime over the next year or so. For fans of the mighty Atlas ICBM, don't despair, there'll still be Atlas V launches from Cape Canaveral for some time to come. Another Chinese rocket has exploded in orbit. This latest incident involved a Longmarch 6A rocket carrying the Yunghai 3 spy satellite into orbit from the Tiyuan Satellite Launch Center in Shaanxi Province. Yunghai 3 is described as a multi-role Earth observation satellite designed to survey atmospheric, marine and space environments and provide data to support disaster prevention and mitigation efforts and carry out scientific experiments. That suggests its true mission involves some sort of surveillance operation. Shortly after the satellite was deployed into its 830-kilometre-high sun-synchronous orbit, its Longmart 6A launch vehicle mysteriously exploded. The United States Space Force's 18th Space Defense Squadron at Vandenberg says the rocket broke apart into at least 50 trackable pieces in low-Earth orbit. Due to its 500-kilometre-high altitude, this debris is expected to continue orbiting the Earth for many years, threatening other spacecraft, including the International Space Station. The problem is there's very little atmosphere at that altitude to generate the atmospheric drag needed to cause rapid orbital decay. So the debris cloud will just continue orbiting the Earth, slamming into anything in its way. Think of it as thousands of bullets, all travelling at 28,000 kilometres per hour. This latest mishap follows last week's discovery of space junk wreckage from a Chinese Long March 5B rocket on the islands of the Philippines. That rocket had earlier delivered the final segment of China's new space station into orbit. Beijing deliberately allowed their Long March 5B rockets to crash back to Earth uncontrolled, a practice highly criticised by other nations. The Philippine Space Agency says metal debris was found separately at several locations and was likely segments from the Chinese rocket. Less than four hours after the launch of the Yonghai-3 spy satellite, Beijing launched a Longmart 7 rocket carrying the Tianzhou-5 cargo ship bound for China's Tiangong or Heavenly Palace space station. The launch from the Wengchang Satellite Launch Center in southern China's Henan province carried some 6,900 kilograms of fresh supplies for the three Shenzhou-14 crew members now on station. And China's also launched a powerful new communications satellite into geostationary orbit. The China Sat-19 was launched aboard a Long March 3B rocket from the Jiachang Satellite Launch Center in southwestern China. The spacecraft will provide communication services across the Pacific and onto the west coast of North America. The satellite's based on a DFH-4 platform and equipped with a KA-band high-throughput broadband internet communications payload, as well as both KU and C-band transponders. China now has an estimated 556 satellites orbiting the Earth, including over 230 Earth observation, surveillance and reconnaissance satellites, including at least 41 Gofeng and some 107 Yaogang spy satellites. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. Scientists have found a link between being exposed to pollution during early to mid-pregnancy and low birth weight in babies. 
a report in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that mothers exposed to tiny airborne particles PM2.5 and PM10 and to nitrogen dioxide, all considered to be air pollution, were significantly more likely to have smaller babies. And the link was even stronger for women who reported higher levels of stress during pregnancy, as well as those living in neighbourhoods which have higher levels of environmental pollution. New research suggests that a new breed of rice, one that's a hybrid of annual Asian rice and perennial African rice, could be a more sustainable option. The findings, reported in the journal Nature Sustainability, suggest that perennial rice, which can last multiple harvest seasons, is more cost-effective and accumulates more organic carbon and nitrogen, improving soil quality compared to annual rice. The authors say the hybrid rice was able to reproduce grain for eight consecutive harvests over four years at a yield comparable to standard Asian annual rice, but at much lower costs and with less labour. A new study suggested being young, male, religious and with a high income makes you more likely to gamble on sports. The findings reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association also suggest that betting on sports, daily fantasy league play and betting on eSport all increases the risk of developing a gambling problem. The authors say that although the occasional sports betting probably is safe for most people, their findings suggest that people who bet on sports end up with a higher risk of a gambling-related problem than those who don't. Journalists have a totally undeserved reputation as heavy drinkers. Still, no pun intended, claims of a surefire hangover cure has sparked lots of interest among my journalistic brethren. Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics says, apparently the secret to waking up with no hangover is to firstly ground yourself and your alcohol before consuming it. This is a particular psychic who's claiming that she grounds the booze, which can help her stop getting a hangover. Grounding is also called earthing, and basically you're supposed to walk on the soil with bare feet, and you go rub, 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 and you either try to think which way it works, whether you attract good energies from the earth or get rid of bad energies into the earth. Grounding, like in electricity, you know, is, is grounded, etc. But apparently Apparently, you can also ground alcohol. I presume it's, it's a bit hard to say whether it's, maybe it's you put just, the bottle down. Maybe it just involves returning what you've consumed to the ground. <laughs> That's the yeah, only I can put it. Yeah, good as a cynic. Uh, apparently, it's not actually just banging the bottle down on the ground and hoping the energies will pass through glass, which is an interesting concept. But it was actually, you actually sort of can feel the energy being drawn out, the bad energy drawn out of the alcohol and disappears into the ether, apparently, which is appropriate. But it's, it's not just alcohol. This, this particular psychic uses her earthing techniques on all sorts of different animals. She grounds her phone, a static, I presume, her computer, her actual home, and her animals, her food, her, all her drinks, etc. So you can be you know, getting rid of all the low vibrational energy and entities, which is yeah, surrounding yeah, alcohol. Yeah, but wouldn't your home be grounded anyway? I mean, unless it's held up by balloons. Right. Oops. There goes the theory. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of science in this, Stuart. There's not a lot of rationality either. And this is, yeah, I'm being cynical about this one, but this one is, yeah, it's pretty rubbish. This poor woman is obviously grounding everything or earthing everything that comes across, so she's going to be very busy doing that. But, yeah, she says she's very sensitive to energy and she has to clear unwanted energy out before drinking. And We absorb energy like sponges and... She says, the one example, think about if your bartender got a parking ticket, their frustrated energy could be in your drink that you then absorb and carry. And you get worried about a parking ticket, apparently. Um, well, that's a good reason why you're never rude to the waiter. <laughs> yes, 
but they don't know what they're going to do with their bad energies behind behind them before they bring your food out. Yeah. So this this woman grounds uh, her drink by visualizing a grounding cord growing out from the bottom of my drink all the way down to the core of the earth. From there, I will bring. Yeah, wait for it. From there, I will bring three gold suns, which is a psychic tool meaning for that one, through the top of the drink and out through the grounding cord. And this is all things she's imagining. It's not necessarily an actual cord. So you know, what what can you say? It's the people who say they believe it. They say this is fantastic. And uh, someone wrote in and said, I will always send positive affirmations to my food and water I consume. And uh, yes. It goes on. It's one of those things you come across as a skeptic. You think, oh my God, really? That's Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics. And that's the show for now. Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimeWithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 